Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Time now for the balloon party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Yes, yes. Welcome in. It's Balloon Party, driven by Mug and Ass Burkhard, Alton Toyota on 101 ESPN and the 101 ESPN YouTube channel. And they have gathered, Jackson, Tiny PP, Robert De Niro. Oh, Bob. Oh, it's Robert De Niro, 69. Well, maybe someone beat old Bob to his uh, like original handle, so right. he chose 69. Or that could just be the star of The Godfather Part 2 trying to throw people off his scent. Uh, Tiny PP, The Dude, Clayton Davis, Bishin about sports. They're all in there. They're all ready to talk it over. We're ready to talk it over with Jeremy Rutherford at 1045. I can't wait to talk it over with Jeremy Rutherford at 1045 about this Cairo thing. I can't wait to talk it over with him. Because Jeremy Rutherford took responsibility for what took place on Thursday and said he's going to use it as an opportunity to be better. So I'm I'm looking forward to discussing that, talking it over with JR. I got a whole lot here. That's what I got. And I know you got the wild weekend winter wrap-up? Uh, actually, I misspoke on TMA. Today is uh, the Little Piddles' wonderful winter weekend wrap-up. Ooh, no wild. So it's not that wild. This is wonderful. Yeah, I wouldn't describe this weekend in sports as wild. Is that because you don't want to talk about the Seton Hall game? You have five seconds to talk about it. Mm, Play harder. Some of the most half-assed, half-court offense I've ever seen in my life. Uh, Blues and Stars? Yeah, great to see. uh, Did I make you some money on Saturday night? You're dead. You're dead. You're dead. You're dead. I was so... Here, here's the background for our uh, wonderful audience. Lodge, I don't know where you were before the game, and we're talking before the game. We can all look at the box score and say, yeah, I know that was going to happen. Anybody can do that. We can all play poker if the cards are turned over. But I thought to myself on Saturday, oh, I don't know, Jackson, I guess around 5 o'clock, I thought... Kairu's going to have a big night. The fans are going to cheer him. I've seen this song and dance as a lifelong St. Louis, and I already know how this is going to play out. And my guess is the boys are going to do everything they can to get the puck on his stick. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to take a look at the Kairu prop bets. Thinking that it would be like over-under points scored, over-under or goals scored, and it was. It was plus 189, about $100, win $189 if he scores a goal. And then I saw his shot total over-under was three and a half, and I thought, oh boy, it might be time to liquidate all the assets, and obviously, I am wealthy, and just go all in on the over. So I talked it over with a few people Mm -hmm. and everybody. And these are people in the hockey community. I didn't get a chance to catch up with you. (laughs) You, of course, being a prominent member of the hockey community. The most prominent. I would say. If you'd ask me. And I said, am I missing something or is this one of the rare moments Las Vegas has mispriced something to the point that we all should double our net worths this evening? And they go, oh, God, yeah, because they're going to make sure that they get 
Jordan Cairo going after what took place following the game against the Senators on Thursday night. All right. So in a very rare move, because it's a low upside play, to text, so it's not, I text you, mm-hmm. text a few other friends, and I said, boys, I don't even know what I said. It was something like, there's no upside to doing this. I just felt a fiduciary responsibility to make you money. You got to go over on the Cairo shot total at three and a half, assuming you can get it, because mm-hmm. this guy's going to have way more than three shots, three and a half shots. Sure enough, he had three shots at the end of the first period, and on his fourth shot, goal. Blues tie things up with the Stars. Uh, where were you watching this game? Oh, <laughs> that's a fantastic question, Uh-oh. Tim. I uh, said something here. I had a family get-together on Saturday night. And I assume it was at a suite at the Blues game? As much as one might think that. Uh, it was an extended family, a lot of people involved, uh, gathering together for the holidays. And I was unable to watch the game, but I was still able to make the play. And we got paid, baby. So you profited without watching the game. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like, a, like a, you, you tuck it away. You make the play and you tuck it away. Oh, like uh, Buffalo Bob and Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Wild Horses played, and I looked at the uh, shot total after two periods, and it was eight, and I said, all right. I How do you do? I got paid. How do you do, friends? I almost wanted I to boost paid. it up. There, there aren't a lot of those opportunities. They don't even necessarily come once a year. Right. But... Uh, you know, when they when they when they're out there, you got to say uh, what Tom Cruise said at the end of Risky Business. You ever see Risky Business? Yeah, I've seen Risky Business. Doesn't sound like you think it's that good. No, it's one of Cruise's better performances. Okay. Early, early Cruise. Good or bad? Good. Risky okay. Business is good. The Holdovers. Good. Okay, I watched that this Did weekend you? with my wife, and I loved it. And yeah. I figured that would be a good on. God, I hope Giamatti backdoors himself a best uh, actor. A major recommendation on that, apropos of nothing. Either way, uh, I make picks, you make money. I make picks, you literally make money. That sets the stage for today's program in which you can text in 314-399-9646, Air Comfort Service text line. Jeremy Rutherford with us at 1045 in between now and then. It's the Little Piddles Wild Winter Wonderful Wrap-Up Weekend. <laughs> Nailed it. Um <laughs> My question, my first question is about Jordan Kyrou, as one can imagine. That that would be the lead. If it were about the Seton Hall game, I might just walk out and say, all right, it's all yours. Yeah. Talk I'm, in season tournament. That'd be fair. I, I'd rip it. Uh, what a weekend it was in the wild world of sports. Jordan Kyrou is a big topic of discussion over the weekend. What did you make of his comments following Berube's dismissal? How about his response on Saturday night after getting booed by the home fans on Thursday? So uh, we had the TMA year-end awards on Thursday night. We were not in on Friday, but we were at the year-end awards and I was watching the post game. The audio was not up. And I go, I think Jordan Cairo is, is crying. So then once I got home, I went back to watch and hear what was said. So I realized um, that plenty of people were passionate about it one way or the other. My opinion on it is the following. I never have a problem with people booing. I just don't because I view it as an expression of their feelings, and I suppose those can come with ramifications, assuming that it's not going to be censored by the government, but that uh, people might say, oh, you shouldn't be booing, and then you can experience criticism for that. When I saw Jeremy Rutherford's tweet on Cairo's comments, I thought, oh my God, like I was, holy crap, I can't believe he said that. 
we had one listener texting in during TMA this morning saying, you guys keep saying that it was about that quote that got people booing, but it was more about Kairou's effort. And perhaps that may be in part correct, but I would tell you the reason he was booed on Thursday was mainly because of that tweet. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I referenced it on TMA. That view, that tweet was viewed 2.5 million times. 2.5 million times. People saw it. So it was gasoline on the fire. Now, I think we have to take a step back on this because the morning after Baruby, or the morning, I guess it was the morning after Baruby was fired, I said, do you agree or disagree? Does Texan approve, disapprove of the move? And I'm telling you, Jackson, it was probably 97 to 98% disapproved of the firing. Yep. Think about it in sports in general, but if you want to isolate it to St. Louis, how often have you seen a coach, GM, athletic director, or manager fired and it have a 97% disapproval rating. Point being, usually when somebody is fired, people go, yeah, you know, kind of saw it coming. It just so happens that within the last two and a half years, we've actually seen it twice. Right. I don't think the Schilt one was at necessarily 97%, but the Baruby one was, and the Schilt one also was disapproved. Yeah. It just, I don't think, had the passion because Schilt didn't win a World Series, uh, whereas Baruby won the Stanley Cup. And I think at the core of the frustration, and I don't think that this means that this was the frustration, but I think at the core of the frustration was... Well, Doug Armstrong said that he realized that this was not a Colorado-Dallas level roster. So the goal was for the team to be competitive and perhaps finish in third place, and then you fire him. And that's right around where the Blues were at the time of the termination. So now you're covering for yourself by firing him. That doesn't seem right. On top of it, we like him. On top of it, his personality matches with the personality of St. Louis. In other words, if Berube were coaching the Panthers or the Kings or the Ducks, I'm not sure he would have been as popular. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. He fits better in mm -hmm. a blue-collar town like St. Louis. So with all of that said, people were already upset about that. But I don't think Jordan Cairo gets booed near the level or perhaps even a sliver of what wound up happening Thursday night before the game of the Senators with the Senators and each time he touched the puck if that quote wasn't out there. Now, what I thought was really interesting, and this is what we'll discuss with Jeremy Rutherford coming up at 1045, is that Jeremy Rutherford writes a column in which he talks about feeling responsibility for it. Because he said he tweeted it out and said that uh, he did not include some of the context in that he asked Kairou two questions beforehand and then tweeted that out and did not expect it to result in the boos that Kairou received. And then he saw Kairou uh, emotional afterwards. But Rutherford said that uh, he hated seeing the boos. Well, he wanted them to stop is what he said while he was in the press box on Thursday night and said he's got to be better. Jeremy Rutherford said that. Mm -hmm. um, and I got to tell you this, I appreciate that. I don't know how many writers or broadcasters in 2023 would do that, but I respect it yeah. in a major way. I really do. I thought that internally as I was reading that column, and I will say that to JR when he joins us at 1045. So then you have Cairo emotional following the game, leading into the performance on Saturday. And sure enough, 
The boys get the puck on his stick. He delivers. He nearly gets the game winner, Colton Pareko, with a hell of a shot. That was not easy to pull off, even though it was sitting on the doorstep. It wasn't just like a tap-in rebound. Uh, He had to go up under the bar in order to get that thing in. And you come back for the first time from a two-goal deficit in the 2023 season. Uh, So with that all said, what may have wound up being, as Jordan Cairo called it, the toughest game he ever played in his career while getting booed the entire time. The potential for it being one of the best experiences for his career is there. And that for him to reach that low point because of Barubi getting fired, because of his quote, and because of all of the jeers from the hometown crowd, perhaps that will be a moment on his career timeline, both for Cairo and the Blues, in which he launches forward toward his ability, in particular that speed, to become the player that the Blues are counting on him becoming based on the eight years that they have given him. So viewing it through the lens of the potential for positivity, very short, small sample size on Saturday night, so far we have seen that and hopefully that is the result. Jackson, your thoughts? I only have one thought on this uh, particular matter, mm. and I have it in audio form. Oh, what are you doing to the room, Daddy? Oh, look at that. Look at this. Look at that. When I saw Kyra rip that breakaway, it's exactly what I said. I said, look at this. Oh, you just told me you were watching it. And look Do at I have that. to remind you you're under oath? <laughs> uh, I saw the highlight of it. and uh, right. But to be honest, like after he scores, you can really see the like full how excited he is when he scores that and how much of like a monkey off his back that is. Then the audio of him and Jamie Rivers after he gets the number one star after the game. Like You can tell a guy who really loves hockey and is trying to be as good as he possibly can be. And maybe this was a moment that lit a fire under his ass. And honestly, sometimes that's what people need. And it sucks that like it has to come with all this controversy and you have to deal with the booing and stuff. But you could say it's warranted. And we saw what happened a game later and... If you can get that against one of the best teams in the league and you can get your, a star playing like that who's getting paid like a star, well, now you're excited. And no pun intended there. Uh, 314-399-964. Did you just applaud for yourself after your take? Felt really good about Was it. Was that like the Anthony Reale point system on Around the Horn? Like you just oh, gave yourself- you doing to the roof, Daddy? Oh, look at that. Look at this. Look at that. Nothing else needs to be said. <laughs> that was that was not Chris Kerber. I heard his. I'm a curbside podcast listener. Oh. I heard him and Joey Vitale, and that is not what they said. No, but maybe and they that could, doesn't sound like the voice of the stars either. Maybe they could take a note from this Manitoba junior hockey announcer and really, really get into a a call. Look at this, and look at that. Yeah, it's right there. Well, you have your choice. It's here, it's there. Ah, uh, yes, this, that. Uh, your thoughts. What did you think of what has transpired over the last four or five days with Jordan Cairo? 314-399-9646, Air Comfort Service text line. Jeremy Rutherford is going to join us at 1045. I always look forward to talking it over with him, but uh, even more so coming up at 1045. That is... Uh, on the itinerary here, Jackson, along with this wonderful winter wild weekend wrap-up. Yep. It's coming your way on Balloon Party, 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
Welcome back to Blue Party 101 ESPN. Tim McKernan, Jackson Burkett with you on the program. Jeremy Rutherford joining us at 1045. I am looking forward to that conversation. If you miss anything on 101 ESPN, you can always go back and podcast via the Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers podcast on the 101 ESPN app. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And if you're interested in our programs, Jackson, we also have uh, TMA. And uh, that is uh, youtube.com slash TMASTL and uh, the TMASTL app, which you can download. And then the Tim McKernan Show podcast, which we will be doing tomorrow, Jackson. Yep. All right. There it is. There's our captain's log. What else do we have on this wild winter weekend wrap up? Yeah. Yeah. Review. Continue on the Blues topic. Look at me. Two Blues topics in a row. Blues are undefeated in the Drew Bannister era. Have you seen anything from the previous two games that indicate new energy into the team and that new coach boost? Uh, Well, the new coach boost is certainly uh, something that we count on. That's another little play that we had. Take the Blues against the Senators. Oh, I did say that on the air. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that wound up working out uh, quite well. So I guess I have been hitting, although the one on the Cairo shots. Didn't that strike you? I know you're not a <laughs> hockey guy, but you can, you can even if you're not a hockey guy, look and see what his average is on shots and go, God, you know what's going to happen here. Yeah. I, they I, are going to get him the puck, and unless... You know, he's just in his own head. He just has talent. He just absolutely has talent, and he's going to have a fire lit under his ass after the coach getting fired and what he went through on Thursday night. It just struck me as obvious as the day is long. Yeah, when I returned the text to you when you told me about the play, I said, I I see where your head is at, and I like it because even someone like me who doesn't watch that much hockey, understanding that player of his caliber, you know, he still has a ton of talent, and coming off of the game he had, or the situation that the game was against the Senators, you had to figure that he was going to come out ready to fire in three and a half and shots. And his teammates going out of their way to get him. The yeah. p- I mean, that's the other thing. That's that's the thing that, like, you can't control on a goal. You can you can be on, and if the goalie stops you, you have a great shot, and it's deflected. You don't get credit for it. So, you know, I got fortunate on that bet, uh, even though, you know, I certainly know what the logic was behind it because I placed the wager, but the shots... There's not a doubt in my mind he was going to get some ice time and get an opportunity. So you have Kyrou and Thomas together. I think one of the things that stands out to me is certainly Kyrou's play. Uh, in addition, you know, this isn't necessarily to say that this is about Drew Bannister. Um, but if anything, Drew Bannister said following the game that his call for a review on Dallas's second goal is, you know, he's learning. He acknowledged he's learning. It's the first time he did it. Maybe it's something that he wouldn't do if he had, you know, a season or two under his belt. But what wound up happening from that specific move is the Blues then, because they lost the challenge and now they're down 2 nothing. the game can get away from you real quickly. You right. have a high-powered team like Dallas up 2 nothing, and now on the power play, and the Blues instead got a big kill, and that was the momentum change in that game. And Dallas coming out, having played the night before, the Blues were able to uh, capitalize on that energy boost themselves, and uh, that's when the game turned in their favor. And to their credit, even though that they... Gave up the lead in the third period. Were able to score very early on in the overtime with uh, Kairou's rush and Pareko there with the game winner. So, uh, you know, I, I thought that PK in the first period was a defining moment for that game on Saturday night. Jackson, do you have a third question or do you just do two questions on these wild winter wrap-ups? I have a third question. Oh, you do? Yeah. 
Major League Baseball is coming close to terms with the Diamond Sports Group to have games broadcasted on ballets for 2024, but the long-term viability of the company and the broadcasting of Major League Baseball teams is shaky at best. Do you think this short-term window of money and broadcasting will give Cardinals and other teams a head start on finding a lifeboat to broadcast in the future? Do you anticipate the change of broadcasting to be radical or look and sound about the same outside of the channel fans will be turning on? On the look and the feel question, question three, I believe, of questions 3A, 3B, and 3-3. Yeah, you nailed it. Shipped it. Uh, I think the look and the feel will be very similar. Like, I wouldn't expect a change on, like, the broadcast production or broadcasters. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. As far as the model goes, what I would hope, but I'm not expecting, is the Cardinals to create their own network. Yeah. That's what I would love for uh, to happen, but I don't know how realistic that is. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that this is a potential landmark moment in recent baseball economic history, which I realize may bore people. But if slash when one is uh, critical of a team's spending or lack thereof, realize there are factors in this as opposed to just wanting to hoard money to, you know, build a pool or something like that. Sure. Yeah. No, I get that. I get that totally. I, I This situation is so odd to me because I would just be surprised, like we always talk about, like these tech giants coming in and possibly taking over Major League Baseball, but Major League Baseball and the NHL and NBA to an extent are weird because not all the teams play on the same networks, you know? Like, I don't know if Apple TV is going to want to scoop up Major League Baseball because they get 11, the 11 Diamond Sports Groups teams. Like, no, they'd want to be the home of Major League Baseball. Amazon would want to be the home of Major League Baseball, not the home of 11 teams, none of which are the Dodgers, Yankees, Mets, and Red Sox. Like, I, that's what's so weird to me. So I don't know what the plan, you can see teams now, I think the Pirates and uh, maybe another team, I'm sorry, I don't have the information, have partnered up to do a regional sports network so that they don't lose money. It's just such a weird deal, and I don't know what well, the plan is. How do they handle that if they have games at the same time? That's what I, it's, it's a super weird situation how the Blues factor into all of this. You know, there's so many questions to be asked, and I'm like you. I think the Cardinals' best plan probably would be to create their own network. Well, if, if they knew that it was going to bring in as much money as the Bally's deal, then I would imagine that they would. The issue is you don't have that certainty, and you're not in a market the size of New York or Los Angeles. And so... It is a real issue, but it's not just a real issue for the owners. It's also an issue for the players, if that then has an effect on those player salaries. Uh, your thoughts, 314-399-9646-1028 in St. Louis. This time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers. We'll break to stay on the proper clock for Jeremy Rutherford's appearance at 1045. This is Balloon Party, driven by Munganas Burkhardt, Alton Toyota on 101 ESPN and the 101 ESPN YouTube channel. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. We're right back to the balloon party on the Tim McKernan podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Yeah. Welcome back. Balloon party. 
101 ESPN, YouTube. What's going on in the YouTube, Jackson? Have you been in there? I haven't taken a look yet to that. I've talked it over with those guys, and I really feel I feel bond with them. Droid Effects is in there, and Tiny Peepee and Eric Nickens. And is it Bach Hog? Bach? Like a, like a Bach? Boss Hog? You remember Boss Hog? Uh, I remember Boss Tweed. No, 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 no. Boss Hog. Dukes of Hazard. Uh, I, I'm aware of the show. I've never seen the show. Bo and Luke Duke. Right. Daisy Duke. Right, right, right. And they had the, what was the name of the car? The General Lee? That's correct. Nailed it. All right. Feeling good about myself? Uh, Bach Hog Hi, Bach. says, uh, I am surprised everyone is acting like the Baruby firing is a surprise. Are you being serious or just in denial about how bad that team has become so fast? That's from Bach Hog. I can't speak for everyone, even though I think that people would like me to become their leader. I get that sense. Right, their mouthpiece. Um, I can only speak for myself. I was surprised, and I can speak for the people who texted in on Wednesday morning after his termination. And I can't speak to their surprise, but I can speak to their approval or disapproval. And I would say 97, 98% disapproved. Um, hopefully that suffices. Bach Hog, and welcome to the program. Or is it Boss Hog and just a misspelling? We'll go with Bach Hog. I okay, mean, fair enough. We're going to be honest. Jimmy Rutherford with us at 1045. We're in the middle of this wild winter weekend wrap-up with Jackson Burkett here on Balloon Party. This is 101 ESPN and, uh, of course, the YouTube channel where you can see just how cute we are. Jackson, question four. Using oh boy, using Dennis Gates as a reference point, not exactly as an example. Oh do my you, God, we're going to talk about the Seton Hall game. It's really going to happen. Nope. How is this happening? We're not going to talk about it. We're not going to talk about it. I'm using Dennis Gates as a reference point, not as an example. Do you think we are too quick to assign a coach or player a star or a bust, as we see in Gates? Yes. A very strong debut. But Dennis Gates has got nothing to do with that. Right. I'm just using like I'll use my example right here. As, okay. we, as we see in Gates, a very strong debut followed by a rough start to his sophomore season. Rational fans know that they have a good coach. However, it does make me wonder if, meaning we, meaning both media and fans, assign a label to people too quick before they are able to build a body of work. Uh, 100%. For example, in college football in particular, I feel right. like, but I guess in the NCAA tournament, mm-hmm. because we see coaches as a 15 seed win, and then all of a sudden they get a huge job in a big conference. Pretty sure Kevin Holloway, the coach of Seton Hall, is an example of that. It's just, it's it's it goes back, I mean, I can think of years and years of going, oh my God, this guy just had a big win as a 14 seed or 15 seed, and now he's, he's coaching and perhaps he might be over his skis. But with that said, in college football, I feel like a weekend, a game, can become a referendum on a program, and I think that's so misguided. Um, I, I suppose one could say it's results-oriented. I don't. Um, specific to Eli Drinkwitz, if you're going, oh my God, you know, Nathaniel Pete fumbled mm-hmm. against Auburn, they lost, got to fire Drinkwitz. It's like, but look at the game. They should have won the game, and it wasn't a coaching decision that played a role in that. And in certain places, you have to give coaches time to get their programs in places. I feel like it happens in a big way in professional sports, and now it's across the board. It's across the board Um, where football coaches, basketball coaches, baseball managers, and I feel like hockey coaches. I mean, what was Bruby, like the fifth longest tenured coach in the NHL, Mm -hmm. and he only started in November of 2018? Right. I mean, it's just – I just – 
I realize right now this this clearly is not a prisoner of the moment opinion. I love what the Pittsburgh Steelers have done. I mean, going back to them beating the Dallas Cowboys in the Super Bowl, they've had two coaches. Bill Cowher, Mike Tomlin. If you have something working, you stay with it. And you acknowledge there are going to be ups, there are going to be downs. But to me, that lets the players know you will not be running the asylum. You can come and bitch all you want. You can throw shade on social media with passive-aggressive tweets and Instagram posts. It's great. All that does is show your ass to everybody else around the league or around college sports. This is our guy. He has built something. He is going to stay here. With regards to short, small, sample size theater, um, yeah, guys get, you know, I mean, Tommy DeVito was the gem of the NFL, and then they get shut down by the Saints yesterday. You know, I mean, it's these things pop up and they come and they go. But is there momentum? I really do. It's very boring. It actually has become almost like a punchline now. But the process, your boy Joel Embiid, I think, with the trust, the process, it became like a punchline. And then you have a lot of people talking about process-oriented thought versus results-based. But so help me, I adhere to that. And that's the one thing, if any these texts I occasionally get that want me to talk about playing in the World Series of Poker, which I would not do. But what that game teaches you is to focus on the process, i.e., did you get your money in good? If I got my hand in with pocket aces before the flop and a guy calls with pocket kings and he gets a king, that doesn't mean I made the wrong decision, even though he won the hand. So is a program or a team making progress or is a program or a team regressing? And then also, when analyzing that, big picture has the individual in charge showing you enough over time that that person has equity. Or has that person shown a lack of reason for faith in that player's ability or that coach's ability uh, based on pattern of past practice? All of those things come into play. Um, to me... I was high on Dennis Gates because of the way he was handling things before they even got to the second round of the NCAA tournament. And it's a really unique spot with regard to Missouri basketball because they may be bad this year, but he's got the greatest recruiting class in Missouri basketball history waiting for him on the other side of this year. So you've got this weird random year in between those two seasons. But overall, to answer your more macro question, yes, I think coaches get anointed or they get taken out way too quickly. And uh, and I think that's been exacerbated by social media, where games, in particular in football, become referendums on a coach, when in reality, I don't know if you'll find more of a team game than than football right. with as many players involved on both sides of the ball. Uh, speaking of all of these topics and intertwining it into our next conversation, Jeremy Rutherford is going to talk it over with us in the next segment. Cannot wait to talk it over with him and get his perspective on what transpired with Jordan Cairo. That is coming your way next. This is Balloon Party on 101 ESPN and the 101 ESPN YouTube channel. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. News, notes, and nuggets. It's time for the Rutherford Report with our Blues Insider, Jeremy Rutherford. Brought to you by Scott Lee Heating Company, a proud Mitsubishi Electric Elite Contractor. Welcome back, Balloon Party 101 ESPN. Tim McKernan, Jackson Burkett with you. And it is our pleasure to welcome to the program, as he does every Monday, Jeremy Rutherford joins us. Morning, JR. Morning, Tim. How are you doing? I'm wonderful. How are you, sir? 
Good, doing well, doing well. Just uh, getting ready to walk in the rink. Blues practicing before they head out to uh, the sunny weather in uh, Tampa Bay and then go play the Florida Panthers, uh, unlike this windy stuff. Yeah, the, uh, the Hawk is up in St. Louis, Jackson. It's out of the north-northwest, uh, in case you're planning <laughs> on your uh, golf outing today at, uh, at Log Cabin. JR, I want to go back to uh, the, the, the festivities that took place Thursday afternoon and then leading to your column with your own self-reflection uh, on that, which I thought was, uh, it was cer- certainly very rare in 2023 media. So I want to make sure I have a proper understanding of, of yep. your interaction with Jordan Cairo in your column, which people can read on the athletic. Uh, you explained that you asked him two questions, uh, which were, what were your thoughts on the coaching change? Does it seem like a fresh start? And then came the third question. There's so much out there about the relationship between you and Baruby. Is there anything you would want to say about that? And then the response was, I've got no comment. He's not my coach anymore. My question is, what were his responses to those first two questions before the famous quote? Yeah, no, great, great. Thanks for letting me provide the context. You know, when I asked him about what did you think about the Craig Bruby move, the coaching change, you know, he basically said, uh, I don't know, nothing really. And so you're kind of off to a start where he's a little bit on the defensive and you can tell that he's not going to give you the, the, the quote that uh, a lot of the Blues players gave us about Bruby being a great guy, great coach, so on and so forth. So I talked to him about uh, Drew Bannister. What do you know about him? Yeah, I know you've played for him. What do you think? And he said good things, you know, about uh, Drew Bannister, his memories of him when he played for him with San Antonio. And then I said, you know what? I've got an opportunity here. I've had so many people in St. Louis ask about this relationship with Craig Bruby. I'm going to ask him. So, Tim, I said, hey, Jordan, you know, sometimes i got to ask tough questions. This is one of those times. A lot of people wonder about your relationship with Craig Bruby. Is there anything you would want to say about that? That's when he said, no comment. He's not my coach anymore. Kind of to give this a little bit of scene setting, Tim, is, you're in the locker room. He just came off the ice. He's taking his skates off. Trainer's waiting for the skates. Jordan's going to go clean up, shower up, head home for a couple hours and come back. And I think that a lot of times in those situations, maybe the player wants to get out of there, you know, quickly. You know, is that the reason why he gave the quick response? You know, I don't know. Some people have said, well, why didn't you follow up with him? You know, sometimes with these players, you keep asking the same question. You know, you're going to get into a tough situation with them, and we have to deal with them every day. So I didn't want to keep pushing his buttons. And so to wrap this up, we kind of moved on to some other subjects. And, you know, it was a couple hours before I tweeted that quote. It wasn't like I was rushing to social media because I had some gold mine. Uh, but the reaction, I knew there was going to be one. I had no clue it was going to be to the level that it was. When you saw the response from the fans, uh, both in your Twitter mentions, a tweet that, uh, as Jackson uh, shared with the audience earlier on here on Balloon Party, it's been viewed two and a half million times. And then later on in the evening, as the Blues take on the Ottawa Senators, uh, the boos during the introduction and each time he touched the puck. What were your reactions? Yeah, so when I tweeted it, I actually closed up my laptop after a minute or two. And there were a few you know, reactions, obviously, at that point. But it was more of the oh boy variety. It was, this is, this is interesting. 
And, you know, it was a while before I kind of checked back on social media and then it was, it was everywhere. And, you know, then I started to see some of the things like, well, people are going to boo him tonight and they should. And as a reporter, you try to remain objective. You don't want to be in the middle of the story. I didn't want to be in the middle of that story. And I just thought to myself, oh my goodness, like, like, please, you know, you're never asking the fans not to boo because that's their prerogative. But in my mind, I was like, please don't turn into this type of situation. So when Jordan Cairo touches the puck and they start booing, honestly, you know, honesty in media, my stomach just drops. It just drops. It's like, I can't believe this is what's going to happen. Uh, it did. You know, I felt bad that night. Uh, I think when you're interviewing Jordan post game and he breaks down a little bit, you know, it's a tough scene to be a part of. Uh, and then even the next day, I'm thinking, I just hope this dies quickly. And uh, perhaps, you know, something will happen the next game and they'll cheer him. I think that his interview did a lot to push the story in that direction. And the fans responded accordingly. So the one thing I want to make clear here is nothing was taken out of context. He said what he said. But big picture, you know, I think as I wrote my story, you know, you can all kind of learn from this, uh, myself included, you know, to make sure with social media that you have this stuff just properly set. And it, it's tough, as I mentioned, to describe the tone. Like if any of us were putting something on Twitter, you know, what was the tone? Was he flippant? You know, was he malicious with his intent? You know, how did he say it? Unless you have the audio, it, it's tough. And, and so I think, you know, I just need to be a little bit more vigilant on when you put something on Twitter that somebody said that you know is going to get a reaction how did he say it? Sometimes it's difficult. I wish I would have provided a little more description in this situation, but it was not taken out of context. And you finished your column uh, giving all of this context on The Athletic with however long that takes, and you're referencing Chris Pronger talking about getting booed in St. Louis back when he was acquired for Brendan Shanahan. Hopefully, uh, however long that takes, hopefully this can be a lesson for both a player in a high-profile position and a reporter who has an important responsibility, I know it will be for me. So if you are feeling like you had some culpability in what wound up taking place, what is it that, I mean, you have the information, you have the quote, as you've said, the quote was accurate. It wasn't a misrepresented quote. What would you have done differently? Because again, it's not the spoken word, it's the written one. So what would you have done differently with the tweet? Yeah, so probably set the tweet up by saying, okay, I had a chance to talk to Jordan Cairo, asked him a couple questions. Here's what he said about the coaching change, which I did have a quote on that. Uh, I did ask him about the relationship. Everybody knows that there was a situation, you know, between Baruby and Cairo always didn't get along. Uh, I asked him the question and here's what he said and just try to provide the best description of how he said it, I think is the only thing that you could kind of do differently. And then maybe even a follow-up tweet. And that's the one thing that I thought about, like, Hey, and I realize this quote's going to get run with, uh, but you know, Jordan Cairo's being honest in this situation, if he had time to elaborate and say more, or he wanted to say more, maybe he would, you know, did he change his tone because of the backlash? You know, I, I don't know. Uh, and I think, Tim, the, the other thing is, you know, like I said, I can learn from this. Perhaps he can learn from this, too. It's like he is a high-profile player, as I mentioned, in St. Louis, in the NHL. And I think that while all players aren't necessarily, 
you know, camera, microphone savvy or realize the importance of their words, you know, I think this could be a situation where Jordan could learn from this too. Now that's up to him. Obviously he gave the interview the next day. You know, it's not for me to say that he should learn from it, but I do think that this is a situation that, uh, you know, he can understand how important his words are. Uh, have you and Jordan talked one-on-one since uh, all of this has transpired? Yes. Uh, after the game, uh, the last game, uh, I saw him at his locker by himself post-game getting ready to interview with the media, and I walked over to him. And, and Tim, I just kind of for 45 seconds, you know, didn't apologize but said, Jordan, look, you know, this is unfortunate, you know, that uh, you had to go through this and and that, uh, you know, it happened the way it happened. And I said that, uh, you know, obviously, you know, we can learn from this. And I said that, uh, you know, for anything that, that happened, like, it's just tough. Like, again, I did my job. I quoted him. I didn't feel necessarily a need to apologize. And, you know, he shook my hand and he said he gets it and we moved on. So, uh, you know, I, I did want to talk to him and tell him how I felt and give him an opportunity for him to tell me how he felt. And he didn't say too much, but, you know, you move on. So, yeah, tough situation all around. And, you know, I'm glad that it, the story flipped uh, last game and that uh, people were able to cheer him. It was great to see the signs, people supporting Jordan Cairo. And then for him to have a handle on the game like he did, such a huge imprint. Uh, I think was just pretty poetic. Jeremy Rutherford, our guest here on Balloon Party. You are listening to 101 ESPN, and you uh, can watch on the 101 ESPN YouTube channel. The camera is sponsored by the Air Alliance team. I wonder if, and of course we only have one, or depending on your perspective, two games of a sample size to to extrapolate any form of data from JR, but if on the Jordan Cairo career timeline, what has taken place in particular over the last five days, and in particular those intense 48, 72 hours, could be what he needed as weird as it might be, considering him talking on Thursday about being the toughest game he's ever played, in order to start to realize the potential the Blues see in him, in particular that speed, which you can't teach, uh, to become the player that they hope he can be at the NHL level. Um, Do you think that that is possible? I think it is, and I think that I've written even the past months and last year, even when he doesn't play well or doesn't have the numbers, I've said, look, I still think he has the chance to be the biggest superstar on the team. So I've been in his corner in terms of kind of my description of, of the player that he is. Um, a lot of people have approached me the past couple of days saying maybe this is what he needed to kind of realize uh, who he is and, and what he is and what kind of impact he can have on the organization with his skill. I don't want to be the person to say that. I don't want to be, you know, as somebody who is kind of in the middle of this to be a person that says, you know, maybe he can grow from this and and become a great player from this point on. You know, if he does, great. I'm just passing along what a lot of people have said to me in the past couple of days. I think that the coaching change, I think that Drew Bannister's approach with him, I think that uh, Jordan kind of understanding that when he does the play play the way that he did this past game that he can reach that level it feels like there's been some sort of reset to me and i think when you have it going so well for you you know second round draft pick big contract um and that sort of i don't want to say gets taken away from you but when you 
hear the fans booing, that's an eye-opener. And I think he wants to be a guy, as we all do, who's loved and appreciated. And what we heard from the fans the last game, uh, I think, is something where he probably told himself that, you know, this is who I want to be. This is the player I want to be. And if it results in him giving a great effort every night, uh, something that the fans have been critical of, you know, then so be it. You know, did it have to happen? You know, I hope not. But perhaps this is a moment that does, on his career arc, help him. JR, they are 2-0 and since the coaching change. I don't think anybody would sit there and go, oh, well, Craig Berube was the problem, and now that Drew Bannister's in, now this team is going to start challenging for the Stanley Cup. We have 30 seconds left. What, if anything, you can isolate that you've seen in the game so far against the Senators and the Stars that stand out to you uh, in, in any form being different and leading to the success here in the early going? Yeah, Tim, you got to put the disclaimer on there that uh, all teams get a jolt when you make the coaching change. Yes. I know you're aware Spoilers, wild, we've seen it so far this year. It, it just happens. So, yeah, obviously we got to give it a little bit more of a, of a sample size. But I think they're playing together. I wrote this today. I wrote five things that we've learned about Drew Bannister. I think they're playing together. They're playing with pace, and they're getting the good starts. Like, they're just doing a, a lot of good things here early on. Now, are they sustainable? We'll see through 10 or 15 games, but so far it looks pretty good. There he is, Jeremy Rutherford. He is with us throughout the week here on 101 ESPN every Wednesday on TMA, giving us his thoughts on all that has transpired over the last four or five days with Jordan Cairo. JR, appreciate the transparency. Uh, Really enjoyed the conversation, and uh, thank you so much for the time as always, man. Yeah, thanks for the chance. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. There he is. At Rutherford with us. It's time for us to go. BK and Ferrario, they will have Craig Berube coming up at 1.15 here on 101 ESPN. For Jackson Burkett, I'm Tim McKernan. This has been Balloon Party, driven by Munganess, Burkhardt, Alton, Toyota on 101 ESPN and the 101 ESPN YouTube channel. You've been listening to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.